It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 on a Saturday morning, 63 degrees still outside, a very, very pleasant day ahead of us. Okay, it's going to be a little warm, high in the 80s, somewhere in there, but right now it is just gorgeous outside. If you're thinking about what you'll be doing this afternoon and you need to know some help on how and when and why and where, give me a call at 404-872-0750. I'm Walter Reeves. I'm the Georgia Gardener. Once in a while, I have an answer. I tell you what's going on. Brandon is in Brazelton, Georgia, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Brandon. Good morning, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man. How can I help? I am uh, wanting to plant a couple of Japanese maples in my front yard because I don't want something that gets huge. Okay. I'm going to be transplanting some birch trees to the backyard uh, and putting them in the same place. I'm wanting to put... I'm not really sure what species is going to be full daylight all the time on that tree, those two trees. And didn't know if I could put like a burgundy-colored leaf, uh, Japanese maple. There's all kinds of species, and I went to Pike Nurseries. I'm not sure which one to look at. You can plant Japanese maples in full sunshine if, here's the if, if you're really good about preparing the soil in the area in which you are going to have it so that the roots can spread out over a large area. I used to, maybe, you know, five, ten years ago, Brandon, I would say, oh, no, Japanese maples have to get morning sun and afternoon shade. They'll be a lot happier that way. But I have been shown so many times to be wrong that Japanese maples can do fine in full sun, even the little dissectum, little lace leaf kind of Japanese maples. I've got a neighbor who has one uh, in front of his house in full baking sun, and it is perfectly fine. Not a bit of brown leaves or drying out anything on it. So the key is, I think, to have a big wide area. You may have a little two-gallon, three-gallon Japanese maple in a pot, but the area that you spade up and loosen for it to plant it in should be at least seven, eight, nine feet wide. That just loosen the soil. You don't have to put any soil conditioner or anything like that in there. Just loosen it so when the plant is planted, maple's roots can go out as fast as they care to into the surrounding softened um, soil. And use mulch. Use um, pine chip or pine straw mulch on top of the ground so it doesn't get real dry in July. Yeah, you can put them in full sun. Sure. Excellent. All right. Is there a specific species I should probably look at that would do better? Sometimes. I mean, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of species. The one I like a lot is called coral bark maple, coral bark Japanese maple. I like it because even in the wintertime, it's interesting. Some Japanese maples, they lose their leaves in October and for the rest of the year until they get the leaves and maybe the seeds on them in spring, they're not much to look at. But coral bark Japanese maple has pink stems in the wintertime, and it's just a gorgeous, cute little tree. It only gets, uh, let me see, 12 feet is the tallest one I've seen, probably. And so it's not real big. That's sort of what you want, it sounds like. But there are more than that, and I don't, off the top of my head, I don't have anything besides Carl Bark to, to recommend, but there's plenty of online resources and lists, and I may have written an article in my own website several years ago that I've forgotten now. But yeah, their tree form is the mushroom, dwarf, weeping forms. There are all sorts of Japanese maples. Sure. Great. Thanks, Walter. I hope you have a great day. Just remember, the key to success on Japanese maples is A, big wide area, and B, mulch after you plant it. Do that, you got you got success. Great. Thank all you right. so much. Thanks for, thanks for calling, Brandon. 
404-872-0750 gets you in to take Brandon's place. And Chris, finally, finally she gets us on, on the air. Hey, Chris, good morning. Good morning, and how are you? I'm well. How can I help? I have got a question. I bought a house, and it has Indian hawthorns, and it's in a, a planter, kind of a built-up uh, retaining wall, and the mm. retaining wall is disintegrating, Okay, which is fine. I'm going to replace that, but the Indian hawthorns are massive. Uh. I don't know how many are in the mass. They're about 15 foot by 10 foot. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how many are in there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know how much I can cut them back. They're pretty receptive to pruning. Indian hawthorns can be pruned pretty well. I have seen them pruned from about five feet, I guess, down to about a foot and a half or two maybe, and they came back, refoliated everything, and looked pretty good after a couple of years. Yours are pretty massive, though, Chris. I don't know how many are in there, but there's a lot. Can you tell, if you went out when the sun comes up this morning, if you go outside and bring the branches back and stick your nose inside the shrubbery, if there's any growth around the base, you'll be so much better, or the plant will be so much better at recovering than if the base is just this big woody trunk that's four inches probably in diameter and has no growth on it. Because I'm scared that growth. after they get yes. as, as big as you're describing, when they get yes. that big, many times all the dormant buds are just hidden by too many layers of bark and they can't sprout out. And so you don't get a lot of, of uh, recovery from a severe pruning like you're proposing there. Yeah, well, I, I know there's growth underneath, at least the parts I can see. Oh, good. All right, good. I, I had to trim them back a little bit every now and again to keep them from taking over the walkway. Got it, so you see it. And I'm thinking maybe there's three, four down there, but I'm not positive because they're just a mound. It's just a huge mound. It'll be somewhat of a gamble as to whether okay. they'll come back from your cutting back and you just may have to do it and see, see what happens, or strike out in a different direction and say, okay, I'm going to pull these up, I'm going to throw them away, and I'll put new Indian hawthorns in their place, one, two, three, four, five, and go to a nursery, go to Pike, and buy some Indian hawthorn to replace them. I'll leave it up to you which okay. which one you think works best. And when's a good time to cut them back? Fall, winter. Well, actually, winter. I think sometime in November through January would November probably be fine. January. Okay. Yeah. It just gives me a time frame to... Make a weekend. <laughs> Have fun, as we say. <laughs> Thank you. I'll really enjoy that. It's one of the one of the great things about this job is I get to tell other people to do jobs that I wouldn't want to do much myself. And so <laughs> you pruning that and disposing of all the cuttings and stuff, you have fun with that, Chris, but I'm not thanks. going to be helping. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> thanks. Have a good weekend. We'll see you soon, Chris. Thanks for Bye -bye. calling. Dan is up in Marietta, Georgia, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Dan, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How can I help? Uh, I have a, I never heard of this bush before, a bottle-brushed buckeye. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. And uh, so I transplanted it this summer, and it survived, but the branches that come up from the base kind of kind of gangly, so all the, just the leaves are at the top. So I'm yeah. wondering if, if I were to just cut it all the way back and leave just some small shoots coming up with it. Come more, you know, come become fuller. Yeah, which is what I'd like to see happen to it. So it's got beautiful leaves and a nice yeah, flower. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think as the conversation with Chris indicated, sometimes it's a it's how much um, dormant buds would be still left when you've pruned the top of it out. And I know bottle brush buckeye is sort of rangy looking, has since whips this way and a big stem that way, and so it's not often manicured like a holly or something like that. Could be. Um, but my feeling is it probably could be cut back at least somewhat. Are you looking at a 50% removal or a 75% or what do you think you well, – Probably about – yeah, it's about uh, three feet from the ground up thereabouts. Yeah. And 
you know, there's probably 10 shoots, something like that. So I was just thinking about cutting them in half. I like think that. you'd be fine. Okay. Like with Chris, I think the best time to do it is going to be winter, November, December, oh, yeah, January. It'd be fine to do it. it. But it reminds me, I mean, talking about this plant, for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, the bottle brush buckeye is a sort of large, rangy shrub. It has these wonderful flowers, which, as you can imagine, look like bottle brushes, like you clean a <laughs> bottle when you have a baby yeah. and okay. glass bottles and all. And uh, I remember that about, oh, it's been 15 years ago now, that uh, a professor at the University of Georgia, Michael Durr, was really excited about bottle brush buckeye. He was telling everybody how beautiful the flowers were, how many butterflies came to his, this, that, and the other. And so I had a uh, big inflatable plastic ball that I drew a big eye on it, and I put it on top of my bottle bush. I have a bottle bush made out of blue bottles in my yard. And I took a picture and sent it to Michael. I said, this is my new bottle bush big eye because I had painted that big <laughs> ball to look like an eye. He didn't think that was cute at all. <laughs> I did. I thought it was funny I as hell. But anyway, um, you can uh, words. you can uh, do things like that and play with people, tweak them a little bit. But the bottle brush buckeye shrub itself is a great plant. And as I say, it attracts a heck of a lot of butterflies. Okay, great. Well, thanks for the the info. All right. Good luck with it, Dan. Thanks I for calling. Bye-bye. 404-872-0750 is the number you can dial to get in Chris's Dan's place right now. In the next half hour, Sandy in Aquara says she tried to grow vegetable seeds, but it didn't work so well. She needs a little hint on how to be successful. Brenda in Ackworth again says uh, pecans are rotting and falling off her pecan tree. Why is that happening? I do have an answer. Sad to say I have an answer for that. And Jack up in Marietta has a bamboo problem there coming all over his yard and chasing him down and wrapping him up and he wants to know what to do about controlling bamboo and I got an answer for that as well. It's 717. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. They're frying that chicken this afternoon in Sanford Stadium. This South Carolina chickens will be playing the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Pre-game show starts at 2 o'clock on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB and a prettier day could not be had. Highs today in the 80s and lows overnight in the 60s not a chance of rain, clear blue sky a wonderful day to be watching college football and being in the classic city. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes and we'll have that from Kirk Mellish in just a little bit. 724 who we got? Jack is in Marietta with a misery. Bamboo misery. Hey Jack, good morning. How you doing, Walter? You're doing all right. How's your sweet wife doing? I can handle this myself, but she says to call Walter, God dang. <laughs> There's call a definite Walter. lack of trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd think after 40 years, she'd, she'd think I could do anything. Yeah, I don't think 40 years is quite enough to convince some women of <laughs> husbands, husbands' talents and what they can and can't. So what does she want you to do, Jack? Well, we got bamboo grass. It was up in our woods near our house, yeah. and now it's starting to take over the whole yard. Bamboo, you know, you want bamboo grass? Yeah, is, I sure. Assume. sure, sure, sure. For other listeners out there, what bamboo grass is is the stuff that you curse and say, "I can just, di- I can pull up handfuls, basketfuls of this stupid stuff." It grows in the shade, grows in moist places, usually in the woods and such. And you pull it all up, and within two or three weeks, it's back covering up the ground where you pulled it all up. It's a miserable weed. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it looks pretty. It looks fine to me. I'm happy with it. <laughs> if you mow it, it looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it looks great, but she's, she wants some grass. Well, I will tell you, the good news is it is very sensitive to pre-emergent chemicals. And so if you don't have too big of an area in the woods there, you can spread a pre-emergent, the one that controls crabgrass, does fine. And you put this pre-emergent out sometime in March or very early April, and very little of the basket grass will germinate. You'll be able to pick up little sprigs of it here and there, but uh, most of it will be controlled by pre-emergent. That's the good news. Yeah, yeah. Then you can plant fescue or whatever you're going to plant out there. But, you know, remember that if it's shady enough to make the bamboo grass happy, it may be too shady to keep fescue or anything else looking good out there. So keep in mind that you got to got to have some light for grass to grow. Well, this, I've had grass grow really green there in my – it's just my lower lot, yeah. you know, lower, lower area, but it's, you know, it's pretty sunny. Uh, it's just the grass is just slowly – moving into my yard. It's basically taking over half my yard at this time. Well, again, pre-emergent in March or early April is, is the way to go. I've had a couple of friends who have done it. I myself am going to do this coming uh, March because I've got a spot where I planted a bunch of ground cover uh, plants and the basket grass is coming up between my ground cover plants and I don't want to hurt them. And I can't do much about the basset grass at this time of the year, but as soon as March rolls around, we're going to put some grass weed preventer out there, and the basset grass will be in my rearview mirror. That's my, that's my opinion about what I'm going to do. So, Jack, tell your wife I said hey, and that you've got it under control, no problem, and you'll have it done at least by March. <laughs> we'll tell her that. At 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. It's 727 and one half, and we'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.36 on a Saturday morning, 63 degrees outside. Hadn't moved much in the last uh, couple hours we've been here at the studio. We'll be here at 9 o'clock this morning to answer your gardening questions at 404-872-0750. If you have any idea of what you might be doing this weekend and don't have quite the idea of how to do it, why to do it, where to do it, give me a call again, 404-872-0750. In just a minute, we'll talk to Sandy in Ackworth, who's still trying to grow those vegetable seeds that haven't been doing too well. Richard Downey McDonough has a Japanese maple way too big, but wants to know, can he move it? Dana has, uh, what do you say, small white flies everywhere in his garden, and Peter and Marietta has dogwood seedlings that he wants to transplant to one place to another. Brenda, though, in Ackworth. Brenda joins us first. Hey, Brenda, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Well, I have this pecan tree that's been in the yard, I know, for 50 years. It was here when we got here. And last year and this year, the pecans, there's a whole bunch of them on the tree, but they start falling off about this time of year, and when you step on them, they're just rotten. Yes. You haven't had many pecans off of it. And I wondered if it's too old. Mm. (laughs) Looking at me, Brenda, you might say, that's too old to be doing what you're doing. Pecan trees can last a good while. You say it's at least 50, but I think a healthy pecan tree could last easily to 75 years. But the disease that you have 
is such a common one for pecans, and it's called scab, pecan scab. And the symptom is perfectly described by you just a minute ago. The, the husks stay on the tree for a little while in the late summer, and then they turn brown and fall down. You can mash them. They have nothing, no meat or anything inside it. It's a very common um, disease on pecans. In South Georgia, where they have pecan orchards, you know, up and down the road in South Georgia, they spray. They have these great big tractor-mounted sprayers and get oh. the fungicide up into the tree. But, hey, yeah. for you and me, Brenda, you don't have one of those. <laughs> I don't. Yes. So, oh. honestly, the, the advice that I have is simply to make the tree as happy as you possibly can by fertilizing a couple of times a year would be a good thing. Making sure it doesn't dry out in July, that would be a good thing. And get what pecans you can because you really are not going to be able to chemically prevent scab on the tree. Okay. Will it will it go away or will it always have it? Depends on the year, like uh, or the weather during the year, I guess. Like a lot of diseases, scab and many of the diseases that like a wet surface to develop onto a plant. Um, if you have a reasonably dry spring and early summer, and you'll be complaining about how it's so dry and I have to water my flowers, but at least you can say to yourself, "But my pecan tree is not going to have scab on it this year." Yay. But if you have a real wet spring and summer, then the scab gets set up back then, back in June, and then you got you know falling nuts all fall and no pecans to eat. Oh well. Okay, because okay, my dad wanted to cut it down, and I wanted to talk to Walter. Yeah, we it, already lost. It probably makes great real- shade. It doesn't make great shade for yeah, the yard. Yeah, it does. It is great shade, and that's one of the reasons. Like, no, just just let it go. Yeah. Because it's had some rotten limbs. We had two others that were here also, but they did die. I yeah. mean, they turned brown. They died and fell apart. So I just hated for this one to, yeah. you know, be headed in that direction. Yeah, but if nothing else, you can always be thankful for the shade, whether you get that's pecans right. or not. You got some that's utility right. out of the tree. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Brenda. At least 25 more years. Okay, good. We'll be here. We'll look at it. Call me in 25 years and tell me about it. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Brenda. We'll see you soon. we got Sandy is calling from Ackworth, Georgia, and she joins us on Lawn and Garden. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Okay. I wanted to plant some seeds for marigolds, for hey. broccoli, cauliflower, and some other vegetables. Yeah. And the seeds are so small, I couldn't get... I didn't know how to plant them, so I took some toilet tissue, put yeah. it out on my counter, sprinkled it with water, and put the seeds in, put my little seeds in a little two or three, four seeds in a little pile, each yeah. one, covered them over with the other side of the toilet, cut it down to about a little one-inch square that I could put down into the ground. We have clay soil, so we got some potting soil and mixed in with it, then made little holes, planted our seeds, and now they have not come up. Nothing has oh, come up. Did I do wrong by using the toilet tissue? Does it no. destroy the seeds? That is a well-documented hint that I've seen it in gardening magazines for 20 years probably. And it is a perfectly good way to keep the, soil or keep the seeds sort of moist for the tissue paper. And if they're little bitty seeds you can barely see to move around, then pouring them on the toilet paper is so much easier than trying to pour it on dirt outside where you can't quite see the seed. Um, are the seeds old? Are you buy them this year? Or how old no, I just them? bought the packages uh, hmm. at, at one of the hot big box stores, yeah. and uh, they said they were sent for this year. Sure. So does it does it not come up till maybe uh, next month? And what again? What seeds? What plants were you planting? Okay, I planted uh, broccoli, yeah. cauliflower, yeah. cabbage, and pansies. It is possible they should have come up 
okay, but it is possible that they got a little warm, and that is something for these cool season crops. You know, that's the name for broccoli and cabbage and lettuce and things that are called cool season crops because they like soil and air temperatures to be pretty moderate, not 100 degrees or 95 degrees or something like that. So it's possible that well, the I heat have been watering them every day like a mist. Yeah. To uh, we have them in raised boxes as far as the vegetables go, but the pansies are planted along the sidewalk, and they have, they're in a really hard soil. Yeah. And over the years, I've been putting uh, soil amendments in there. And But this year, now, I have volunteer, uh, uh, oh, the other, not pansies, Petunias. Okay, I've got petunias coming up. They're yeah. they're already coming up, but I didn't plant them. They're there from last year. They were the wave petunias. Well, and they're what, volunteer coming up right now. What I think, honestly, truly, is that planting from seed is a way to save money, of course, but sometimes planting from seed is a lot more trouble than maybe you think. And I think that for whatever reason, I don't have an answer for why they didn't sprout and come up, but my guess is that they're not going to come up and they will not um, show themselves, particularly the pansies. Pansies are hard to get to come up in a garden. Most often they're growing up in the mountains and big nurseries up there, and then they ship them to the retailers, and the retailers sell them to you. And the good news is, of course, Andy, that there are plenty of pike nurseries around you in Ackworth, and you can go over there, and they have the broccoli and the cabbage and the uh, lettuce and other transplants that you can buy there. So rather than continuing to try to grow from seed, my recommendation, run to a pike, get some seed, get some plants, I mean, and, um, and you got a garden. That's what I would do anyway. But the seeds, it's understandable why they might struggle a little bit in germinating this year. So there you go. Go to Pike, get some plants. Don't worry about the seeds, even though it'll save you money to plant seeds. Sandy, i got to go, but thanks so much for your call. We've got Dana, who is in uh, Hiram, Georgia. And Dana joins us on Lawn and Garden. Dana, hey, man, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How can I help? So I've got in my yard, I've got all these little white bugs. They're very small, just big enough to see. Yeah. And they, I guess they kind of stay close to the ground until you get out there and you move something, and then they swarm up and... <laughs> I guess my main issue with them is in the mornings when I go out to work, you know, I open up my truck door to get in and, you know, 10 of them want to take the ride with me. <laughs> so I guess my question is, what can I treat my yard with to get rid of those? Not only those, but any other ant, pestering, bug, mosquito, whatever. Sure. It's going to be friendly for my dogs as long as, as well as my son if you, in the yard. If you were describing how big these white, insects are are they an eighth of an inch half an inch how, how big are these creatures i'd say an eighth or smaller there is a perfectly described insect called white fly which it yeah. sounds maybe like you have but white flies don't normally live in lawns they live on gardenias and on uh, sometimes crepe myrtles sometimes a lot of times on tomatoes in the garden but white flies one of the ways you actually notice white flies is because the leaves on your Gardenias, let's use for an example. Only gardenias will turn black because the white flies are very, they suck, they suck a lot of sap out of the juice of the, of the plant, out of the sap of the plant, and they excrete this juice out of their rear end. It covers everything and turns them black for the honeydew fungus that grows. So it's possible that you have white flies, but I didn't hear you say anything about gardenias or tomatoes or their preferred hosts no, around it, the garden. It's just, I mean, I don't even have a garden going right now. It's just in my yard in general, everywhere. Mm. I'm not positive over. that you have this insect white fly, but because you have concern about the safety of your dog and the family and everybody around, the stuff that I would use is the 
chemical is called spinosad, and it's an organic insecticide that can be sprayed in sort of broad broad areas. And I would try the uh, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. I mentioned it once earlier this morning, but Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. You get it from Pike and uh, you put it in a hose-in sprayer or whatever applicator it has attached to it and try that on at least the area around where you park and maybe a little further than that. And if you have any gardenias or, well, you don't have any tomatoes, I guess, but crepe myrtles too, if a small one can be, they can be sprayed, try that, spinosad. Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew and see if you get some control that way. Okay. But okay. white flies, you know, you just you said it right. The white flies are very small, little bitty white insects. I just am a little bit curious about what they are if they're not on a gardenia, but try the Captain Jack's. It won't hurt anything. It's organic. won't hurt the dog. You'll be fine with that. So thanks for calling there, Dana. We got Peter in the line. Yes, we have time to do Peter. Hey, Peter, good morning. Hey, Walter. Um, I've got my, the that the street I used to live on used to be lined with dogwoods. Yeah. And they've all died over the years. Um, but along my house and in the wildness of my backyard, I've got dogwood trees going, ranging from sizes of a couple inches up to eight feet. Oh, okay. So uh, up to what size would be good that I could transplant those back to line the street with? If it were me, somewhere less than three feet. Less than three feet. Less than three feet. And the difference in growth will be not even noticeable in a couple of years. The ones, if you were to try to move one of those 10-foot-tall dogwoods in the yard, they will simply sit at 10 feet and will not get any bigger over the next two or three or four years. And it'll be hard to keep them watered in the summertime, too, whereas the littler ones, three-foot, two-foot, one-foot seedlings, just immediately go to growing, and they spread their roots real fast. Up they come out of the ground, and in two or three or four years, they'll be as tall as the others, but uh, a little less hassle in getting them transplanted because they're just smaller. Okay. So what time of year and how big of a hole with amendments should I dig? When the leaves are off the trees. So after mid-November, maybe December, that'd be a fine time to transplant them. And the hole, even though it seems dumb to have a foot-tall dogwood, I want the hole, not hole exactly, but loosened area around the, the planting spot. I need that to be five, six maybe feet in diameter. But it's just stick the shovel in the ground, flip the, the clods over, chop them a little bit with your shovel to loosen things. But you want soft soil for the dogwood roots of the seedlings to just go out as fast as they can and become established. Mulch is imperative. It's one of those things that if you do not mulch these dogwoods, put a band of mulch easily, a couple of feet, maybe three feet away from the trunk in all directions, but grass or other things that grow around small seedling trees are a big com- competitor for nutrients and moisture and things like that. So you have to mulch, keep the weeds and grass from growing underneath them, but I would expect in two or three years you're going to have something to be real proud of. Oh, very cool. Um, real quick, does the same apply to oak trees? Yep, same thing. Little ones, oh. three feet and okay. below would be fine. All right, perfect. Thanks so much, Walter. Again, I get to tell somebody else to do a job that I don't have to do. It won't be too hard, though. You won't be, you won't be too tired, and it won't be too hot either, Peter. So good success with it. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Right now it's 748. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. 
And time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It'll be fried chicken time in Sanford Stadium this afternoon. A very pleasant day in front of us. Highs in the upper 80s, so maybe put some sunscreen on. Lows tonight in the mid to low 60s. Not a bit of rain coming on for the football game in Athens. You can listen to it, of course, right here on the Home of the Dogs, News Talk WSB. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes. We'll have it right here for you. Daryl is in Dallas, and Daryl joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Daryl, good morning. Good morning, Mark. How can I help? My question is, this spring I had uh, a few spots put in my yard. Yeah. thought I could keep it alive. I was wrong. About mid-July, I started getting spots where my sod was dying, regardless of what I did for it. Uh, My question is, I know now is the time to sow my grass, a better time. So how do I go about the preparation? I've got, like, the thick thatch on the ground where, you know, the pieces died. Should I rake that and try to sow that and just let that hold it? Should I till it? Should I chop it with one of the yeah. aerating choppers? What yeah. Should I do? How much of the lawn do you think is covered in fescue? Is it a 50% coverage or 20% or 80 90%? How much fescue is there? Uh, there's uh, there's probably still, of, of the spot we did with the saw, there's probably still 70%. It's just, okay. You know, spots, you know, two-foot spots, you know, where the squares were of the sod. All right. Well, that gives me enough to say you can overseed. You can put fescue seed over the top. The first thing for preparation, I think, is going to be, Daryl, to rent an aerator. Go get one of those aerators with the big hollow tines and run that over the lawn at least three times. I want a lot of little holes and a lot of little divots of, of dirt that come up with the aerator. Okay, and, so do the plug then, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, plug aerator is the best. And so once you've done the aeration, then might be a good idea if you have time to get a soil test done by the University of Georgia, or if not, 40 pounds of lime per 1,000 square feet will usually be about in the ballpark for most folks. So 40 pounds of lime per 1,000. Put down some uh, starter fertilizer. The various companies that sell lawn products have starter fertilizers. They have a little bit more phosphorus than others, and put that down. And then it's time to put the seed down. Don't put a lot. Put four to six pounds of seed per 1,000 square feet feet. Be sure you measure your lawn first to be sure you know how big it is. And uh, use only four to six pounds per thousand. Water it in. Make sure it's nice and moist for the next five or ten days. It'll look awesome by the end of this month. First week of October, you're going to have a nice looking lawn. If you do it, what I said, aerate, lime, fertilize, spread seed, boomy-de-boom. you got something nice. Thank you very much for your help. Hey, it's great talking to you. Daryl, thanks for calling. It's 727 on a Saturday morning. Coming up soon, we'll have Rick in Temple, Georgia, has a question about the dogwood leaves that are turning black. Barbara wants to know how to fix her angel trumpet. Worried about it's going to freeze in the wintertime. And Martin Marietta has never had success with his cantaloupe, and he is just tired of that. (laughs) We'll get to talking with them in the next hour on Lawn and Garden. Right now, stay tuned for news. (laughs) 